Wild Rose Casino and Hotel presents Great White. It's Great White, March 26th at Wild Rose Casino and Hotel in Clinton. Tickets on sale now. Get yours at the Iowa store inside the casino or at wildroseresorts.com. Great White at Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Clinton. You'd rather be here. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hey there, and welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I am your host, Rob Howe, recording on Tuesday, February the 22nd at 10 a.m. So it's 2-22-22 at 10 a.m. Got it? Um, the 2-22-22 thing is going to get played to death today, I think, but uh, it's kind of cool, it's kind of unique. I wanted to thank our sponsors, as you heard coming in, uh, Wild Rose Casino and Edward Jones and also Systems Unlimited. Uh, Big concert coming up, concerts, I should say, coming up at uh, Wild Rose Casino, three locations, Clinton, Jefferson and Emmitsburg, uh, Friday, March the 25th at Jefferson concert will be great white. Uh, Also, The next night in Clinton on Saturday, March the 26th, Great White Concert. So back-to-back nights, you can catch both nights, you can catch one night, whatever you want to do. Tickets can be purchased at wildroseresorts.com or at the Iowa store on each property. Um, So check those out, Wild Rose Casino. Thanks for their sponsorship. Uh, Edward Jones as well and Systems Unlimited. Um, Support from this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. Thank you again to Systems Unlimited, Edward Jones, and Wild Rose Casino for their sponsorship of the Hawk fanatic podcast got a lot here today so going to jump right in uh i have a leftover from last week that i did not get to from sit down at love the hawks love the hawks on twitter at l-u-v-d-a-h-w-k-s on twitter brad banks drew tate ricky standy stanzi 
Uh, C.J. Beathard are all in transfer portal right now in their prime football days. Who would you take as QB1 for Iowa the next season? I think all would be fine choices. All would would, uh, certainly uh, raise excitement for the Iowa football team next year because you already know that they've been very successful here uh, and beyond. Uh, For me, it's Brad Banks. Um, I think in this day and age where you need uh, a dual threat quarterback or at least somebody who can threaten defenses with his legs, Brad would be the best guy there. Uh, I also think Drew Tate is capable of that. And Ricky Stanzi was not a slouch moving with his legs a little bit, as was C.J. Beathard when healthy. For me, this one's Brad Banks, but it's really close, and I can understand the argument for the other three as well. Uh, We have a series of Drake Timbers, as per usual here on the podcast. Drake is getting a little crazy here, Drake, so we're going to kind of – not move the, through these without any uh, response, but move through them at a relatively uh, quick pace so we can get everybody in here. Uh, and that is not to uh, dissuade you from sending whatever you want in here, whenever you want. Again, public service announcement uh, I like to make. Um, if you're listening to the podcast and have a question and are worried like me that you have a bad memory and will forget to jump in on the next mailbag podcast, you can uh, send me your questions or comments using the hashtag HFmail uh, on Twitter. I will get to that the following week and I go back like I did with uh, sit down with his quarterback question, who I would take out of the transfer portal. Uh, He actually sent that right after I got done recording last week. So was able to get back to it this week, but Drake Timbers at Drake Timbers on Twitter are, are complicated offensive schemes better for programs like Iowa, or does it pigeonhole us to develop to developmental recruits who are more likely to stay longer at Iowa than their Titan counterparts? Um, that's a good question. I could see again, like the quarterback question from, uh, from sit down, I could see both, uh, sides to this. Um, it gives Iowa an advantage in terms of having developmental guys that, um, you know, it takes a little while to pick things up, but once you do, maybe you have an advantage. The coffee sip there. I did not, you did not lose me. Um, for people that have are listening for the first time, I sip my coffee through this podcast. so. I apologize, but then again, I don't because uh, I need it. I need the juice. Um, I think, uh, and we've talked about this on various podcasts, including the hotspot that I do with Do- Scott Dockerman on Thursdays. I think Iowa needs to find a way to make the offense a little bit more digestible for everybody. Um, I just don't think it needs to be that complicated. Uh, we heard Alex Padilla say during bowl prep that it's like an, it's a year and a half process to get it down for a quarterback. Um, and I don't think that's unique to Alex saying he's a slow learner. I think that's pretty standard. Um, you've not see a, seen a true freshman start at quarterback at Iowa. Um, I'd be interested to see, maybe I'll have to do this, research the Big Ten programs that have had a true freshman start at quarterback uh, for it for them through the years here, the last 25 years or so, and, and see where – if there are any like Iowa who have not started a, a true freshman quarterback, I really have no point of reference there to know. Um, but uh, it, it does make it more difficult for Iowa to employ true freshmen uh, in key roles. Um, it's happened through the years. Um, 
some are forced into action on in the trenches. I don't think that's uh, that's a place you want to put just from a physical standpoint, put guys early in their careers unless they, although guys are coming in now much more prepared from a physical standpoint to be able to hold up to the Big Ten rigors, uh, the rigors of Big Ten football. But um, I think for skilled players, I mean, we even saw it last year. I think it was, what, maybe, you know, at least several four or five games in before we even saw, you know, maybe midway through the season before we saw Arlen Bruce and um, Keegan Johnson become bigger parts of the offense. Um, it almost seemed like they were waiting for them to catch up, uh, even though they had both been here since the, you know, since January and through the spring, um, you know, they were a good, you know, 10, nine, 10 months in before, uh, they were able to actually take on significant roles in the offense and uh, should be a case where they get here, go through spring football. They should be able to contribute right away out of the gate um, come the first game of the season. Um, so it's kind of where I am on that one. I think making it simpler uh, would benefit all. I don't know as you get that great of an advantage uh, by, uh, you know, teaching guys through the years how to, you know, work within the offense. I'm not sure if that's an advantage against other teams that are <laughs> getting to use uh, new players right away that can help them win. So that's kind of where I come down on that. Drake Timbers, again, was O'Keefe the problem or the scapegoat? Um, I wouldn't say he was the scapegoat, and I would say that he was part of the problem. How much? I don't know. I don't know how you quantify between um, Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, and Ken O'Keefe, who bears most responsibility for um, the offensive deficiencies last year. I think they all have a hand in it. Somebody, you know, maybe it's just the, um, the I want to say relationship, but, uh, you know, the that trio – maybe there's just not a uh, ability to come together to be able to make the best. And I, I've made food analogies here in, in past um, podcasts, but, you know, having those three cooks working together, maybe it would be better if there was just one cook or two cooks. When you have three cooks, maybe it's getting a little convoluted, so to speak. So, um, so yeah, I don't think he was made a scapegoat. I mean, He's 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 on in his years. Uh, he's been in the business a long time. I think he wants to re enjoy retirement, which is certainly understandable. Um, I don't think he was made a scapegoat. Um, I just think the bottom line is Iowa needs to be better offensively. And if Kirk and Brian are the two that are working with, you know, if you bring another quarterback coaches, how does that how does that trio work together in, in making the meal? Um, how do those three cooks put it together? May, is it better than with O'Keefe or is it worse? And if it's worse, that's not good. So um, I'm not sure he was made a scapegoat. And I think if that was the intent, more people would be um, excited with his exit or th thinking things are moving forward here. Maybe change excites people just because they think change will spark um, success. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that's the case. We'll kind of see where things go from here, but um, yeah, I, I don't think he's made a scapegoat. I think uh, he came back and did what he could to help Brian 
cut his teeth as an offensive coordinator and helped Kirk Ferentz and was paid handsomely for it. And now uh, he's ready to ride off into the sunset and help Reese Morgan get donuts for the, for the uh, over in the facility, coffee and donuts in the morning. So uh, <laughs> actually I was in, I've been in Kirk Ferentz's office. It probably won't be again in, in the future, but have been in the past and he's got a pretty elaborate coffee system in there. He's a, he's a heavy duty coffee drinker and he's got like, it looks like a, a a science lab of these contraptions he has in there to make coffee. So very much envious of that. I'm going to take a sip right now. Uh, let's see. We've got a couple more here from Drake Timbers. Uh, does it behoove Kirk to fill Kinnick by lowering the costs of tickets and concessions? PSU wilted under our battle cry there. Quarterback ripped off his helmet to cover his ears. Their O-line panic, jumping off sides. Gatorade judges flooded Stanley Franklin's white pants. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that a home field, home court advantage is is what everybody's after. Um, It's been lacking uh, at Carver this year. It was really good for that Penn State game, um, and it was – you know, this year, I think it helped Iowa, particularly in the Minnesota and Illinois and Penn State games at home. Um, the other games, uh, not as much just because I don't think it was as important. Purdue obviously was a loss at home, so didn't help a whole lot there. And then Colorado State, Kent State and Indiana, Iowa, um, I wouldn't say ran away with those games, although they did against Indiana. Uh, and we're pretty comfortable against Colorado State and Kent State. Um, but, yeah, those closer, you know, conference battles, um, I just don't see them lowering ticket prices and concessions. Um, I don't know if that's the answer. Uh, talked about it on the Hotspot podcast last week with John Miller. He and I have been discussing this for two and a half decades uh, on what to, to make people consistently get into Iowa's basketball and football stadiums. because they're the the later season games, the Minnesota and Illinois games at home this year, I thought the attendance was off. It was not a full seventy thousand at Kinnick. It 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 it, uh, it went down a little bit than earlier in the season. Some of that's weather um, related. Uh, so many factors that can get go into it. I'm not going to go into go into that again now. If you want to listen to John and I talked about that a lot last week, we can find the Hotspot podcast. Uh, on the feed here at Hawk Fanatic and uh, Scott Darkman, my regular uh, partner in the Hotspot podcast, is back from San Francisco and he will be on with me this Thursday and we'll have plenty to talk about there as well. Uh, another one from Drake. Uh, who do you want if Brian Ferentz bolts? Um, it's a good question. Uh, yes, there's been some, I guess, some smoke that Brian Ferentz may be looking to move on. Um, I don't know how legit that is. I've heard it from a few people Uh, may just be speculation and rumor. I don't know. Um, But uh, uh, it's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it Um, to me. And and I wrote this when Brian was hired uh, after seeing what happened with Greg Davis. And it just was like, uh, a square peg into a round hole with Greg Davis and Kirk Ferentz. Their philosophies did not work that well together, um, and it would never really clicked. 
uh, you know, on a consistent basis. And I'm kind of seeing that with Brian and Kirk now. I think the key to this whole thing is finding somebody that can work um, work well under Kirk's uh, restrictions. And I think there are restrictions. I think that's an apt word. Um, I think he, he wants it done within his philosophy, blocking schemes, running schemes, route trees, things like that. I think he's involved in all of those things. And when you say, well, why would he be involved in route trees? Well, part of that is receiver blocking. And he wants to be involved in blocking schemes uh, for his offense. That's a big component of what Kirk Ferentz wants to be involved in. Uh, and when you do that, um, you really have a, a, you really handcuff whoever your coordinator is. So I don't have a name. It would, it would be more, you know, I could say, you know, it'd be great to have a young, uh, you know, uh, offensive mind who's cutting edge and has these great progressive ideas, but I don't know if that works with Kirk. I think, uh, I think he's handcuffed, uh, his offense, all three of his offensive coordinators. Um, but he's won a lot of football games. So if you look at it from a positive standpoint, um, you know, he's won a lot of football games doing it his way, um, which is complimentary football, leaning heavily on defense, low risk offense and, and quality special teams. When things are going the best here, it's when he has those things. And, hope, you know, the years where the offense has some juice are the best years. Um, and you can say, well, they were 10 and two this year. Now they finished 10 and four. They didn't beat Michigan and they didn't beat Kentucky. Um, they didn't beat Wisconsin and they didn't beat Purdue. They beat 10 other teams, some of them good, some of them okay. Um, but to get to the highest level, what will it take to get to a college football playoff? Because really at this point, you've won the division. What would it take to win the Big Ten championship? win the division and then go to Indianapolis and win the game uh, is what Iowa does offensively. Has it reached its ceiling is 10 is a 10 and two regular season. It's ceiling. When you play that risk averse, when you play where, where there's such a small margin of error, is that your ceiling? Um, what would it take to be 12 and up? You look at the, the Wisconsin game and the Purdue game and you can say, yeah, they were close. They were almost there. They could have won those two games. And yeah, they had opportunities to win both of those games, but they also had, had opportunities to lose against Iowa State, Penn State, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska. They won all those close games. So it, it's it, it's a balancing act in a lot of ways. And I think it does when you have an offense that can't go out and win you football games consistently. Um, and, and not a lot of teams do, but um I, I think to reach your ceiling, you have to have a more efficient and um, productive offense. And I don't think I'm breaking any news there. I think that's how it works. Drake has some off-topic questions here that I will read uh, out of a courtesy. I don't know how much of these I will answer, Drake. Um, all good all good sports questions. Um, your existential questions here, I will zip through. Uh, if science proves reincarnation real, how would it affect life insurance payouts? Very good question there. It's got a little uh, Stephen Wright and uh, uh, Seinfeld. That's kind of the, the kind of uh, genre I think your questions come out in. Um, but I, I think life insurance would have to adjust if people kept coming back. Uh, what are your thoughts on Shawshank Redemption interpreted as a love story? 
Andy instructs Red to the same tree where he proposed to his wife. Red unpiles rocks, finding Andy's special stone proposal letter to meet in Mexico. <laughs> I really don't even have a have a comment on that one. That's an interesting thought. Like that movie, I've only seen it a couple of times. I've not seen it in a long time, so probably can't go deep in there. And then your thoughts on the thematic connections between Shawshank's opening and ending scenes. Film starts with Andy drinking alone at a lake, irreconcilably separated from his wife, and it ends with him and Red free from prison, reunited on a sunset beach. Kind of like the end of Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. Uh, you can make a connection between those two movies, how they ended on the beach. Uh, thank you, Drake. Always in, in, uh, appreciate your contributions. AP Hawkeye at Andy Paul Rules 1. Hi, Rob. After watching the Michigan-Wisconsin game, do you feel Fran's reputation as a hothead has become overblown? Fran's never done anything close to what Howard did, and I can only imagine the hell Fran would catch from the national media if he had. Yeah, I think the benefit of the doubt is given on different levels to different people. Jawan Howard is a Michigan legend, uh, an accomplished player, uh, on one of the most famous college basketball teams ever. Uh, a cultural uh, phenomenon was the Fab Five. And I think he's still, he'll always be connected to that and seen through that lens and then seen through his NBA player lens. Uh, and he, he seems like a nice enough guy. He, he obviously has some issues. I, I think it, this, is just my, this is just my view of this and my opinion based on what I've seen from him. Um, and watching him at Carver on the sidelines from the baseline where I shoot photos. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's a pretty nice guy. I think it's like Fran. I think it's the competitiveness and they kind of lose themselves a little bit. And, and I think you see that um, throughout sports and, and um, athletes and coaches are ba- able to handle it, it, it you know, at different uh on different levels some people are are always kind of on the edge some people it takes something like really extenuating to set them off some people are just chill and they're not going to let that stuff get to them coffee set time hang on Ah, it's still hot i got in a travel mug and it's not cooling down i should probably take the lid off but i don't want to interrupt the podcast any more than i normally do um Is Fran's reputation earned? Um, I think part of what Fran is, and he has had incidents, and I'm not excusing those, you know, what happened uh, with McJunkins at, where was that, Ohio State or Indiana? I can't remember where it was. That just is not good. You can't do that. And he got punished for it. And he apologized for it, and you move on. Um, But I think what plays into that, it's not only the incidents of, you know, smashing a clipboard, which Steve Alford used to do on a regular basis, or smashing the chair down at Michigan State, or being very demonstrative. Um, I, I think it's how he's perceived on the sideline. And just through no fault of his own, he gets red. Um, he's Irish. His face gets red when, his, when he gets upset. And just the still photos, the videos of him being upset, it's no worse than 
the what I, again i'm down there on this on the baseline I, I very close to these coaches i hear a lot that what's what's said fran is no different than anybody else and he's a lot better than a lot of these coaches i remember how stunned i was to hear mike krzyzewski i mean he's foul mouth and nasty with officials um but he has a reputation of being a you know just a a, a loving uh admirable person He's cut from the Bobby Knight tree, and I think he's 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 a nut on the sidelines. And I heard Jay Williams tell a story a couple of weeks ago about him just being his language being nasty in practice. I mean, Fran—that's the thing. When you see Fran on the sidelines, that's who he is in that moment. But if you're with Fran at an AAU game, which I've been at before, sitting in the stands, or see him at practice. He is not that way at all. He is not like out of control in practice, throwing basketballs around, screaming at kids. He's very locked in to teaching the game. Um, he's competitive. He gets on the sidelines. He's fighting for his guys. He's gone over the top before, no doubt about it. Um, but I, I think there is a misconception of who Fran McCaffrey is. And I don't know if there's anything he can do about that. So Appreciate the question, AP Hawkeye, Andy Paul Rules. Uh, Adam Halter at IA Punk. Does Philip Robracha have another year of eligibility due to the COVID year? If so, what do you think the chances are of him coming back? Thanks for the question, Adam. He does, in fact, have another year uh, because of the COVID year, and he has already said he will be back next year. So uh, you can count on Philip being back in the lineup. I think he's gotten better as the season's going on and he's figured out the big 10 a little bit more. Uh, he is undersized a little bit, hopefully next year uh, with Agundale and Riley Mulvey, hopefully developing this year and being able to give more quality minutes next year. He's not having to play out of position as much. I still think he's a face up four. Uh, that's his best position. We haven't seen him shoot a lot from the outside this year. He has that ability, and I think he'll be even, be, be even better at it next year uh, when Keegan moves on. Um, so I, I think he'll get more minutes at the four and five next year, and I think uh, I, I expect a big season from Phillip, and I've been impressed with how he's improved this year. So thank you for the question, Adam. Appreciate it. E at NBA underscore fan underscore 2014 on Twitter. Do you think the post-game handshake line will be, will or should be retired by Iowa men's basketball, given fans' comments on disliking it? Yes. And if you check out at Rob Howe HN on Twitter, that's at Rob Howe HN on Twitter, um, you can see the video of Fran um, and Tom Izzo, Iowa plays Michigan State tonight, uh, also spoke on it uh, today or yesterday, excuse me, on Monday February the 21st, he spoke on, he likes the handshake line. Fran does not like it. Um, I, I can see both sides of this. I don't really feel strongly one way or the other about the handshake line. I'd be, I'm fine. If it stays, I'm fine. If it goes, I just don't know. And I said this to somebody yesterday, I've never competed at the level that these guys compete at and am that emotionally involved in this. Um, how much work they put in to try to win a limited amount of games and make it have enjoy as, as successful seasons as they can have. Um, there's a lot of emotion involved in that that I cannot relate to because I've never played at that level. I don't know how intense it gets. Obviously, I don't think most handshake lines go off 
without incident. But we saw a handshake line. I believe this was in Iowa high school basketball this year where somebody hauled off and punched another kid and knocked him out. He punched him twice and knocked him out. Is that good? Should we just say, well, most of the handshake lines are great. So let's just keep having them. If somebody gets knocked out every now and then or punched in the face, so be it. I don't know. I mean, the women, women's college basketball, if you watch the Iowa women, they still are using COVID protocols like last year when there was no handshaking, when it was basically, you know, a salute, a hand wave, hey, nice game. Is that any less sportsmanlike? Do you actually have to physically grab somebody's hand um, and say, hey, nice game, and shake it really hard for it to be sportsmanship? Or can you acknowledge them with a handshake and a wave or just whatever, greet them after the game if you want to, if you don't want to, uh, handshake before the game? I don't know. Um, it's complicated. I think everybody's kind of wound up now because it's so fresh with what we saw the other day and you're trying to avoid incidents like that. So what is the best way to go about making sure that that doesn't happen again? I don't know if you can. I mean, who's to say that if they were just doing the hand wave like the women do and, you know, hey, nice game uh, from the opposite ends of the court. If Juwan Howard doesn't, you know, flip off Greg Gardner or something like that, and I'm just, I'm not saying he would have, but maybe that incites something, you know, or if he yells something from across the court, at, you know, his displeasure, I'm going to remember that, you know, or, you know, I'll remember what you did calling the timeout. And I'm not getting into that because that's a whole other argument of whether the timeout should have been called or whatever. Um, I, I get that. And everybody has, um, opinions on that but I'm not I'm I'm strictly sticking to the handshake lines to me I don't care either way I I think it would be odd for Iowa not to do it when everybody else is doing it and I think that's why France still does it still goes through the handshake line um but he would he would welcome it going away um and again I don't really I, I guess if people were pissed off enough even without a handshake line maybe there could be a brawl but I don't know. No easy answer. That was ugly in Madison the other day. And you just hope that people learn a lesson from it. um, And we don't see it again. Chances are we will see it again. How long from now? I don't know. Again, go find the high school kid from Iowa that punched the kid from the other team in the stomach and then in the face and knocked him out this year for whatever. Um, uh, There were a lot of, there were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of speculation on why that happened, but it happened. And there's no reason to punch somebody um, that is not cool at all, so to speak. Coffee sip. A lot of coffee sips this week. Thanks, E. Appreciate the question. Uh, DC Hawk at DC underscore Hawk six. What odds would you give this year's men's basketball team of breaking the sweet 16 drought? I would have said of almost zero before the win Saturday, but that had, that was a big win. Still going to say about 20% chance. Yeah, it's so hard to know without the draw, DC, but I, I would probably say you're about right. Um, I was a top 25 team now, so um, you're looking based on, based on just rankings. And I know there's metrics and there's Ken Palm and the net ranking and all that. And some have Iowa as a seven, some of them a 10, some think they can be a six. How high can they get? Technically, if you're uh, a top 25 team, you're looking at what? Somewhere in that seven range. Um, is that right? 
Ones would be four, eight, yeah, somewhere in that six, seven range, uh, roughly. Um, and then, so if you're, it's, it's a big difference too, because if you're a seven, you're playing a two. If you're a six, you have the potential to play the three. And I think there could be separation there. I don't think there are any great teams this year. Uh, there are some really good teams, but I think it's, there's a lot of parity in college basketball. And I know we say that every year. It just seems like there's more of it this year. There aren't any dominant teams. Excuse me. I think if Iowa gets the right draw, it certainly has that potential. You have a all-American level player in Keegan Murray. You have uh, experience, which is always valuable. Uh, in a, in a sport that has a lot of turnover. Um, so you have, you know, tournament experience. Um, so the, the, the elements are there for Iowa to make a run to get that sweet, sweet 16 for the first time since what was it? 98, 99. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the opportunity is there. I think 20% is a good chance and uh, let's see how they finish up. They get a win tonight against Michigan state can win it Nebraska Friday and then get uh, Northwestern at home uh, that gets them to what eleven and seven, with games at Michigan without Jawan Howard, and at Illinois to wrap up the season. So I'm excited to see how this fin- finishes. I've had fun with this Iowa men's basketball team. I thought it would be a bubble team. Uh, it's exceeded my expectations. Keegan Murray has certainly exceeded my expectations. Um, so great. I think a really good coaching job by Fran and his staff this year uh, of rebuilding. Uh, or reloading, I should say, after losing Luca Garza, Joe Wieskamp, Jack Nungy, and C.J. Frederick, all guys that, you know, Luca was could have come back, but, I mean, it was time for him to go. But Wieskamp, Nungy, and Frederick all could have been back this year. Frederick gets hurt. Um, I don't know if he would have gotten hurt had he stayed here, but those guys all would have been starting for you this year, and you're probably a top-10 team with those guys. Uh, but your top 25 without them. That's pretty impressive. So thanks for the question, DC. Jake Markham at jmarkham1337 on Twitter asks, do you think Iowa men could win the Big Ten tourney? It just feels like one of those strange years where something unexpected like that could happen. Also, does Keegan go pro lottery pick? You have to, right? What do you, th- who do you think transfers? I miss baseball. I miss baseball too. Um, going through some uh, some uh, motions with our Dynasty Fantasy Baseball draft, trying to figure out um, when to do our free agency in that league. Um, it's made more difficult because there are a lot of unsigned guys, but I'm not going to go down that road. But, yes, I miss baseball, too. Would love to see the season get started on time. That's probably not going to happen at this point, but hopefully they they figure this thing out soon, Jake. Uh, I do think Iowa has the capability of winning the Big Ten tournament. I would give, I would probably say Purdue and Illinois and put them on one tier. Then I would probably put Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan State, Iowa on another tier with Rutgers potentially in there. I need to see Rutgers win away from the rack before I can put them, um, you know, in with those other teams, but who knows, they could get hot. They've got size experience. They've got components that could help them win, but I could certainly, I'm interested to see, we we're talking about this yesterday. Right now, Iowa's in the eight, nine area, which would probably be a matchup with Purdue and Illinois in the second game, uh, which would be the quarterfinals of the big 10 tournament. Um, that would be tough 
Uh, you'd like to see Iowa get up into the six or seven range. And again, they have a stretch here in Michigan State, Northwestern at home, a game at Northwestern, uh, excuse me, Nebraska, to get to that 11 win plateau and then have, you know, an opportunity perhaps to win at Michigan or Illinois to get yourself to 12 wins higher up in the Big Ten standings. I think it helps your seed. Um, but there are going to be upsets in, in Indianapolis, I think, as well. But I certainly think uh, this is going to be one of the more wide-open Big Ten tournaments that we've seen in some time, and I'd certainly give Iowa puncher's chance at this one. I do think Keegan goes pro. I mean, I think he's a top-ten pick, and he's certainly a lottery pick. I think he got to go. I mean, that's life-changing money. Um, I'm not sure what he has to come back to uh, prove at this level. Um, I think if you watch him play, he – he can develop just as well, kind of like Joe Wieskamp, but even he's even more advanced than Joe uh, going into the league. Um, and he'll get a fat contract to develop and get paid on the next level. He's done some nice NIL things, uh, had some nice sponsorships here at Iowa, but it's life-changing money. Uh, and I think he has to go transfer-wise, maybe one of the guards. Um, it seems like, you know, you bring in, uh, DeSante Bowen and Josh, Josh Dix, although I'm not sure Josh Dix plays next year because of the broken leg. Even so, you bring it, you add in DeSante Bowen, you take out Bohannon, potentially Connor McCaffrey. I don't know if he'll come back next year, but you know, you've got still a loaded backcourt. There are enough minutes for Toussaint and Euless and Perkins and Peyton Sanford, DeSante Bowen, Connor McCaffrey, potentially. If Josh Dix comes, it's a lot of backcourt guys. So I would look there. I don't know. I would hate to speculate on which of those guys would lean towards going. Um, it's going to be a matter, I think, of what they hear and their meetings with Fran after the season and how, how they feel they stand within the program and what the outlook is for their minutes. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of where I would go on that. Uh, that's it in the queue. Um, I think there were a few people that did not use the hashtag shame on you, but let me see if I can find them real quick underneath the, let's see here. Uh, let's call coach Mike Baker at defense 2461. Assuming some website has this answer, which with ultra close big 10 race, who had the easiest, toughest one play schedule also home and away. Um, pull that up here. Uh, looks like, okay, I got it. Oh, it was a relatively small search here. Um, okay. So, you look at the teams at the top, Illinois, uh, home games against, these are the one plays, home against Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin, away, Indiana, Minnesota, Nebraska. Um, so you look at that, they've got Penn State and Minnesota as one play, so they only get to play them each once, um, and Nebraska as well. So you're talking about three of the teams that are towards the back end of the conference, but they only have to play Ohio State at home and Wisconsin at home. Don't have to go to either one of those arenas and have the road game at Indiana. They get Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, and Rutgers twice. So I'll let you guys kind of judge this. Um, and then I'll skip down to, uh, let's see, other teams that are near the top. Purdue, um, Purdue one plays. Home only against Maryland, Nebraska. Eek. 
that's tough. They lose road games at Maryland and Nebraska. They get Ohio State, so they don't have to go to Ohio State. Uh, away only Michigan State, Minnesota, and Penn State. Uh, so they don't get Minnesota and Penn State at home or Michigan State at home. And then Wisconsin, uh, the one plays, they get Iowa. They don't have to go to Iowa, Michigan, or Penn State. Uh, and away only Illinois, Maryland, and Northwestern. I think Purdue's got the toughest schedule out of all of those. I think a case could be made um, maybe between Purdue and Illinois. But I think Wisconsin, you would say, has the easiest of that. Uh, they're away games, uh, Maryland, Northwestern. Uh, and don't only get Penn State at home. Uh, they do not have to travel to Iowa or Michigan, um, but they don't get Illinois at home. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty even, to be honest with you. It's pretty close. Um, if you look at it from Iowa's perspective, Iowa get, does not have to go to Indiana, Michigan State, or Northwestern. Uh, that's pretty favorable. Uh, and they only have a weight. They don't get Ohio State, Rutgers, or Wisconsin at home. That's pretty tough. Um, you look at Michigan state, let's take a look at Michigan state here. Uh, Michigan state, uh, home only Indiana, Nebraska, and Purdue. So they avoid trips to Indiana and Purdue. Um, they also don't get to go to Nebraska, which is, a, looks like a pretty easy win, uh, and away only Iowa, Ohio state Rutgers. Uh, so they don't get Rutgers at home. They don't get Ohio state at home. They don't get Iowa at home. Uh, that's tough. Uh, Michigan, uh, home only, Maryland, Minnesota, Northwestern, away only, Indiana, Penn State, Wisconsin. Um, so they miss road games at Maryland, Minnesota, Northwestern. Uh, they don't get Indiana, Penn State, or Wisconsin at home. That's pretty rough. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for the contenders. You want to look at Indiana, another potential uh, tournament team home only against Illinois, Michigan, and Rutgers. So don't have to go to Illinois, Michigan, or Rutgers. Uh, away only Iowa, Michigan State, Northwestern. Uh, avoiding road games at Illinois, Michigan, and Rutgers is pretty nice, though. So that's pretty favorable for Illinois, for uh, Indiana. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for teams that you're looking. Ohio State, uh, Iowa, Michigan State, Northwestern at home. So don't have to go to Iowa or Michigan State. Uh, away only Illinois Purdue Rutgers. I think I may have mentioned that already. That's uh, that's a rough not getting them back. So if you look at the contenders, I, I would say it's relatively easy or even. Uh, I would say probably Purdue has the roughest. Um, not getting games at Maryland or Nebraska, um, whereas Wisconsin, um, yeah. I read them off. You guys figure it out. It's tough to say. Um, it's and it's fluid. So um, I think that's about up. Oh, we got Kyle Hughes at KJ Hughes 12 checking in asking for a friend. How come Iowa didn't try to recruit Tucker DeVries? It looks like a few schools made a run at him, even though his dad coaches at Drake. Um, yes, um, they did make a run at him, actually, and tried really hard. Um, just some background. He and Peyton Sanford, uh, who's a freshman at Iowa, both played at Waukee, the state champions last year, uh, and were best of friends, hung out at each other's house, families are friends, know each other really well. Um, you know, Peyton certainly talked to Tucker about playing together in college. He was going to play for his dad. 
I think that was pretty obvious. I mean, Iowa State offered. He had a lot of power, kind of like A.J. Green. I mean, Iowa tried with him too, but it's tough when your dad and his dad, A.J.'s dad has since moved on to Iowa State, but it's tough. I mean, it's tough to, um, like, Jack McCaffrey's probably not going to, to go, and he's certainly capable of it, but he's certainly probably not going to play at Wisconsin uh, or, uh, you know, Michigan State or somewhere like that. Um, because he's going to play for his dad at Iowa. And that's kind of where that I think you try to a certain point, Kyle, and then you're just like, well, you know, there's really no sense to putting more resources and time into this because it's, it's a, it's a battle that's too far uphill to climb. So had to get one last coffee sip in there. Um, So yeah, they did try and Franna really liked Tucker DeVries. I don't know why you wouldn't. It's probably the freshman of the year in the in the Valley. Um, and is a really, really nice player and would look really good in black and gold and would be a really nice piece of Iowa's rotation right now. Um, but unfortunately for Iowa, his dad coaches in Des Moines, and uh, that's where he is. Drake having a fine season, really nice season. Um, saw them win at Loyola the other day. Northern Iowa with a good season. Uh, the men's and women's teams of all the in-state schools are doing really well. Iowa, Iowa State men and women are all ranked this week. So should be fun. Should be a fun march around here. Looking forward to it. Really appreciate everybody's questions uh, and comments this week on the Mailbag Podcast. We went about 45 minutes, which is a, a good number. I'm going to jump out of here. Um, got a busy night tonight. Uh, Iowa. Michigan State, there are still tickets left if you're listening to this before the game. Uh, Tuesday, February the 22nd, Luca Garza's number being lifted and raised to the rafters uh, and retired. And then the jerseys of uh, Roy Marble, um, Murray Weir, and uh, I'm gonna, I can't believe I'm forgetting the other person. Anyway, uh, now I have to look this up because I feel bad. Um, who are who the other, who's the other, everybody yelling at their, uh, at the, at me right now on who the uh, who the other Murray Weir, Roy Marble, um, Chuck Darling. I'm sorry, Chuck. Um, feel bad. Left him there, but I but I made up for it. I got him in there. So Chuck Darling, Roy Marble, Murray Weir. Jersey's retired tonight. Luca Garza's number retired at halftime. Tickets remaining. Get over there if you can. Six six o'clock tip for the game against Michigan State. Big game. Iowa could really use a win tonight. Thanks, everybody, for the questions or comments. Thanks again to the sponsors, Wild Rose Casino, Edward Jones, Systems Unlimited. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week. Oh, man. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort, slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton.